Greetings, my most esteemed friends and colleagues. Thank you for joining me once again. My name is Lewis, and you are listening to Budo the Martial Way. Today, I would like to share with you a selection of some of my favorite temples that I have visited here in Japan. The function and practice at almost all of these temples vary wildly, so I have had many different experiences as I have traveled here and there. But for those of you interested in Buddhism, Zen, meditative practice, or just the country of Japan itself, I think you may find some of these locations very interesting. Let us begin. Let's jump straight into one of the first and most famous temples I visited in Japan, Kinkakuji in Kyoto. This temple was actually burnt down intentionally by one of the young resident monks in 1950. The events of this arson and the life of the monk in question were recounted in a fictional retelling in the novel written by Yukio Mishima. I began reading this book as I left England and flew to Japan. I reached the final chapter as I arrived in Kyoto a few weeks later, but what I did was I purposefully delayed reading the conclusion of the book in which the temple is burnt down until I had visited the temple in person. The temple itself, Kinkakuji, is very striking in appearance, being overtly covered in gold cladding. In Japanese, kin means gold. However, despite the remarkable appearance of the temple itself, it was really the grounds surrounding it that I found to be so remarkable. The temple grounds were designed to represent descriptions of the paradise of the Amida Buddha. The entire area, as far as the eye can see, seems to have been shaped into a single perfect oasis. In the middle of the grounds is a large mirror pond with several small islands. The garden itself surrounds the pond in a shallow bowl shape and is covered in lush, beautiful trees. Then beyond these grounds are an almost perfect boundary of low rolling mountains, almost giving the illusion that there is no other world beyond the horizon and that everything within is its own reality, separate from all other experience. The temple itself, I was somewhat less impressed by. I felt as though it almost gave the impression of being a caricature of the original structure. Photos and artwork of the destroyed building display a more noble, practical temple, undoubtedly beautiful, but also more traditional and one that enjoyed seeing actual use. What we have now is much more garish in appearance. With an excessive use of gilding and entirely closed off to any use. It reminds me more of a theme park decoration rather than a real venerated temple. Regardless of the temple itself, to be able to visit the temple complex after having it described to me in the masterful work of Mishima was an exceptional experience. If it wasn't for the abundant presence of mainland tourists, it would still most certainly be considered a paradise. So then, after leaving the temple, I sat down and read the final chapter of Mishima's Kinkakuji, in which the temple is burnt down. It almost felt as if I were reading a news article or that it were actually happening as I read the text. 
the temple was being burnt down right then and there. The combination of visiting Kinkakuji while also reading Mishima's legendary work made such a strong impression on me, one I will not soon forget. Next, I'd like to tell you about one of my personal favorites, Taishakuten in Shibamata. Shibamata is a somewhat traditional town in Tokyo, kind of on the edge of the most densely populated central area. Until recently, this was my home, and I lived not five minutes from Taishakuten itself. From the old Shibamata train station, there is a pedestrian street that leads directly to the temple. Often described as Little Edo, Shibamata has a traditional feel to it that Asakusa wishes it could emulate. At the end of the main street stands a large temple Sanmon Gate. This imposing structure, along with all the other wooden buildings in the temple complex, feature comprehensive and intricate carvings all over the entire woodwork. If you pay a small fee, you can go inside and see some absolutely incredible wood carvings depicting various stories and teachings of the Buddha, artwork carved into the very side of the building, and with this admission, you are also able to walk through the private garden in the rear of the temple grounds. However, for me, the real charm and beauty of Taishakuten is in the main courtyard out front. The Chosya fountain where you wash your hands is decorated with dozens of little statues of white snakes and is laid out in a slightly unusual fashion. In front of the temple is a beautiful tree with huge supported branches reaching out straight horizontally east, south and west and surrounding the temple are elevated walkways free to wander whenever the temple grounds are open. Everything about the temple feels grand but conveyed in a humble and genuine manner. Taishakuten is often very busy during the day, but in the evening before it closes, it is almost always empty. During my time living in Shibamata, Taishakuten was my favorite place to visit, usually on the way back from Edogawa to get some dinner. It is such a beautiful and venerable temple, still earnestly in use, and in the evening, if you hang around outside the gate, you will see local people bow to the Sanmon as they pass on the way home, which is heartening to see the residents of Shibamata still treat the temple with such respect. I think one of the main reasons Taishakuten is so special is that Shibamata is generally only visited by Japanese people, so it has been spared the ravaging of foreign hordes, transforming it into a tourist attraction. And as such, it still remains a very real and very functioning local temple. One temple that I always recommend to every person visiting Tokyo and also to every local resident, is Fukugawa Fudodo in Monzen Nakacho. This temple is a rather unique and unusual structure as far as temples go in Japan. The main building is surrounded by a new large construction, a very modern design, and inside features many different rooms, altars, statues, and points of interest dedicated to various different temples and ideals. The new building doesn't really look at all traditional, but the real reason I recommend everyone visit Fukugawa Fudodo is for the Goma fire ritual. 
every day starting at nine o'clock and then every two hours until 5 p.m., the resident monks perform a grand ritual in the main hall to which viewing is free. The ritual involves a fire on the main altar in the middle of the room and the recitation of sutras accompanied by many instruments, including horns, bells, massive taiko drums, at least four foot in diameter. The music is simply breathtaking, like something you would expect to hear in a movie. And to sit there and hear it live, to feel the bass of these huge drums punch your body is unlike any experience you are easily able to find anywhere else. When I lived in Kotoku, I would often walk to Monzen Nakucho to see the Goma ritual in this temple. I cannot recommend it more highly. I am telling you, the ritual performed in this temple is fantastic. It is performed multiple times every single day and it is only two stations from Nihonbashi, so it is very convenient for anyone in Tokyo to attend. As I mentioned before, soon after arriving in Japan, I traveled to Kyoto, but I actually only traveled there as I was passing through. My destination was a neighboring town of Kamioka, as I intended to spend one week at Tekishinjuku, a small Rinzai-shu Zen monastery. To reach this temple, I took an overnight bus to Kyoto, a train to Kameoka, a bus to the edge of town, and then walked further into the countryside from there. It was quite beautiful. As I made my way to the temple on foot, I was walking through some rice fields when I saw a large white heron land silently in the fields to my left. As I stood there looking at this bird standing in the shallow water, I took a deep breath and thought to myself, ah, this is Japan. (laughs) It was as picturesque as you can possibly imagine. Tekishinjuku is the most remote of all the temples I have visited. However, this was, of course, absolutely ideal for the week of practice I spent there. Waking up at 4.30 every day was, at first, a little tough. But living a life so far removed from the modern whirlpool of indulgence was a truly purifying experience. It was a very special opportunity to live without the internet, without TV, news, social media, or any of the things we normally take for granted. Just to live a simple life in the temple, zazen, cleaning, cooking, eating, more zazen, from sunrise to sunset a way of life unchanged for thousands of years. Since attending this practice at Tekishinjuku, these kind of retreats have become an annual event for me. I am mentally weak and often unable to overcome the temptation of even the simplest distractions. And so I enjoy nothing more than committing myself to intense daily training to completely disregard all modernity and focus on work and practice with no opportunity for procrastination. Living in a Zen temple in the Japanese countryside is everything you would expect it to be. If you went back eight, nine... (laughs) If you went back eight, nine, ten years ago and told me in the future I'd be spending time living in Zen monasteries with no internet access, meditating five hours a day, I honestly have no idea how I would react to that. I don't think I'd even be able to believe it, but now here I am 
and every year I look forward to these retreats with glee and excitement. I can't wait to turn my phone off and unplug myself from the world. Before I left Tokyo, I began attending almost weekly Zazen sessions at Seishoji, a Sotoshu temple in Minatoku, not far from Tokyo Tower. I am very grateful to one of the resident monks, Mukansan, for being so accommodating. He is a very patient and considerate individual, and I appreciate that he is so welcoming in allowing me to practice Zazen at the temple on such a regular basis. Seishoji is a surprisingly large temple complex in the heart of Tokyo. Outside, there are some rather peaceful garden areas with small artificial streams and pathways nestled between towering office blocks. Inside one of the main buildings is a large zazendo, actually one of the most spacious I have ever had the opportunity to practice in. With a very high ceiling and being built primarily from wood, it keeps nice and cool even in the most humid of summer days. Minatoku is very near central Tokyo and easy to access, so it was very convenient for me to visit during the day before seeing my private clients. I do miss regularly practicing there. However, when I am eventually able to return to Tokyo a little more often, I will most definitely visit again and pay my respects to Mukansan. I'm actually thinking about asking him for an interview as he speaks very good English. Please comment on Twitter and let me know if that's something you'd be interested in hearing. Another temple I would like to mention is Choanji in Hakone. Hakone is a fantastic town in the Kanagawa prefecture to the southwest of Tokyo, famous for its many wonderful onsen tucked away in the mountains. The temple, Choanji, is also of the Sotoshu lineage. However, I did not have the opportunity to practice during my visit. The reason this temple stood out so much to me was due to the many Rankan statues scattered throughout the temple grounds. There are over 500 stone statues depicting either the Buddha or his disciples, which welcome you from the courtyard of the temple and stretch well up into the mountainside woodland behind the buildings. Some of these statues appear to be incredibly old and weather-beaten, while others were clearly carved much more recently. Their designs also vary massively, as many of them seem to be more somber and reserved, while a great number look delightfully light-hearted and jovial. Hakone itself is a little bit out of the way, not difficult to get to from Tokyo, a very nice day trip or overnight trip. I do recommend the area. I would not recommend going just specifically for this temple. You have to take a bus to get to it and there's really nothing else in the area. But if you do find yourself in Hakone and you have some free time, I do think it's worth a look. The temple itself is very well cared for despite its remote location. And wandering through the silent forest along the paths lined with these countless stone buddhas was a very nice experience. As I left the temple, I was actually struck with the impression that in the event of my death, this is where I would like my remains to be buried. I have never had that feeling about anywhere before, but it became very apparent to me as I visited this temple. So, should I die any time in the near future, let it be known, 
I request my remains to be taken to Choanji Hakone. The last temple I would like to mention to you is that of Eiheiji in Fukui. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you may remember I spoke of my time there at length in episode 8. Eiheiji is a simply incredible temple. I visited for an extended retreat last year and was going to return this year until everything was cancelled. Eiheiji is the head Sotoshu temple and was founded by none other than Dogen Zenji himself over 700 years ago. I really cannot explain to you how much I enjoyed my practice at Eiheiji. And global pandemic aside, for as long as I live in Japan, I intend to return at least once a year to attend retreats at this location. The temple is simply beautiful, nestled off in the forest, built up the side of a mountain, the local area, the temple itself, everything about it is absolutely ideal. And to visit and practice alongside the 300 odd monks living there, it just doesn't get any better. When I visited for the first time, I attended an international retreat with other guests from all over the world. For some of us who are already living in Japan, it is of course not so far to travel, but I can understand those who came from abroad. If I was living in the UK and had the opportunity to add a stay at Eiheiji to my visit in Japan, I would do so without hesitation. For those of you who practice meditation, who study Zen philosophy and are able to visit Japan, I promise you this is the one. As I said before, I spoke of my experience at this temple more extensively in episode 8 of the podcast, so if you'd like to know more, please check it out. So there you have it, some of the most notable Buddhist temples that have really stood out to me the most here in Japan. All places that I have enjoyed visiting and have hopefully given me some greater insight to visit a temple to stay for an extended time in such an environment ideally suited for practice is of course fantastic. However, I believe it is possible to practice the way at any temple or even at a Shinto shrine, a church, a mountain view or any location we wish. As we continue to practice Zazen and meditation at home, we come to understand that it is within our own ability to center ourselves in any and all situations. Even if a temple is entirely abandoned or we have no understanding of the purpose or dedication of a Shinto shrine, we may use these locations to take a moment to collect ourselves, to practice breathing techniques mindfulness, to give thanks or to remind ourselves of a previously made resolution. I truly believe in perennial philosophy. There is only one way and all religions and philosophical practices are expressions of that one unifying way. So it doesn't matter where you are. It is not necessary for there to be a monk, a priest or anyone else to guide us. We may guide ourselves. And so I visit temples and shrines almost daily, if only for a couple of minutes, maybe on the way home from work or if I'm early for a meeting, I drop a coin in the donation box as payment for use of the facilities and I use that location for my own practice. 
In the words of the Buddha Gautama, be lamps unto yourselves, be refuge to yourself. So I entreat you, when you visit a temple, stand up straight, bow in gasho, breathe empty. Thank you for joining me as always. I hope you found that interesting. For those of you living in Japan or who are able to travel, please let me know if you visit any of the locations I have mentioned today. And for those of you who are unable to make it to the country, I hope you have found my descriptions of these temples entertaining at the very least. I'll post a few photos I've taken on Twitter so you can have a look. Thank you for your patience. I know I haven't uploaded for a couple of weeks. It is hard to keep a consistent schedule. There's so much I want to share with you, as well as my upcoming book. So much to work on, so little time. Next week, I will be speaking about non duality, which is incredibly important, a core principle of the Tao. But it is so base, so fundamental that it escapes description. It is beyond language and forms. And as such, it is extremely difficult to convey in words. But I will try my best nonetheless. Until then, I wish you well, disciplined and stoic. Those on the way become the way. <laughs>